Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Good morning. It is a pleasure to be here with you all. It is a privilege to be able to gather together and worship God through Sunday school, through song, through the giving of our money, and now through the proclamation of his word. How privileged we are this morning. Well, you know where we are. We're in Colossians chapter 1. We are, last week we visited 15 through 18, and this morning we're going through 19 through 23. And as everybody turns there, we're not going to read it just yet, but we're going to recap a little bit of what we learned last week. Because 15 through 23 are really interconnected, and they um, really are talking about the same thing. So 15 through 18, we learned that Christ is supreme. We learned of the supremacy of Christ. We learned that he is supreme as God. We learned that he is supreme over creation. And we learned that he is supreme in his church, that he is preeminent. He's the firstborn. He's before all things. Jesus Christ is God. Now, we learned last week was kind of going to serve as a preface to this week's message because 15 through 18 is talking of the person of Christ, and now we're going to look at the work of Christ. And if you'll remember, we said last week that in order to understand the work of Christ, we have to understand the person of Christ. And just to clarify, what we mean by person of Christ is the man who walked this earth named Jesus Christ. That is the person of Christ. Verses 15 through 23 have 14 occurrences of he, him, or his in reference to Jesus Christ specifically. 14 occurrences of he, him, or his. Paul is going to great lengths in this section, selection of verses, to display that this is all about him. Everything is about Jesus Christ. So let's continue our study, 19 through 23 today. Uh, Please stand with us as we read the Word of God. Colossians 1, 19 through 23. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning with our Bibles open, longing to understand the work of Christ. Lord, I pray that you make it clear in this place this morning, and not just intellectually, but in our hearts, Lord, in our spirits, who Christ is and what he has done, that we may honor him and glorify him and worship him in all that we do all the days of our lives. Father, may I step aside, may I offer no words of my own that are of my own invention, and may the word of the Lord stand forever in this place. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. So as I said, we're going to be talking about the perfect work of Christ. From this selection of passages, from this selection of verses, we see three different ways that Paul displays the perfect work of Christ. But before we get to all of that, we need to deal with a couple of words that we see in verse 19. Look with me. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of the fullness of God. Your translation might say, God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. What's being said here is that the divinity of God, the what makes God, God, all that God is, God's nature, God's essence, God's spirit, all of the fullness of God was in the person of Jesus Christ. All of it. That is to say that it was not divided up between a bunch of different gods. Buddha is not God. Mohammed is not God. Nobody else is God. All of the fullness of God dwelt in the person of Jesus Christ. All of it. There was not any left over. It wasn't 95%. It was not 99%. It was all of the fullness of God was in Jesus Christ. Paul is further reiterating to us that Jesus Christ is God. Now remember, we have to get this right. That's why we're hammering this point home, and it might almost feel like we're belaboring the point that Jesus Christ is God, but we have to understand this. And it was important then, because then people were trying to uh, convince the church at Colossae that Jesus Christ wasn't actually God, that he was one of many gods, and they were trying to say that Jesus Christ was an angel. It's not true. Jesus Christ is God. There was a lot of false teaching going on here in uh, the church of Colossae. But church, false teaching is nothing new. It's been around since the garden. Since the serpent said, did God really say? That was our first instance of false teaching, and it's been going on ever since. Now, question to think about. If it was a problem and a danger and something for the church at Colossae to be very well aware of and very awakened to the reality of that false teaching existed and that it was aggressive and offensive and trying to make its way into the church, how much more is it a danger today? You see, we have cell phones, we have the internet, we have mega churches. 
We have churches on every corner. Just on this little street in little old Wilfrith, there's like 700 churches. There are churches everywhere. This is the age of the millionaire celebrity preacher. You mean to tell me that everybody's preaching the truth? I don't think so. If only it were so. But what we learn all throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that false teaching abounds. And we have to guard against it. We have to know who Jesus is, that we may know what Jesus has done. That way, when people come to us with false teaching, false ideas, we can say, no, that's not true. I reject that because I know who Jesus is. I know what Jesus has done, and Jesus has saved me. But we can't grasp the magnitude of the work of Christ unless we grasp the majesty of the person of Christ. Now let's look at what else he says here in verse 19. The last bit of verse 19, it says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It pleased God to have his fullness in the Son. The Father was pleased to send his Son to the world. If you'll remember back in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke accounts of Jesus being baptized, the dove descends on Jesus and a voice is heard from heaven. It's God the Father speaking, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It pleased God to do this. Now let's think through this. Let's think deeply here. How could it please God to send his son knowing what Jesus was going to go through? How could that be pleasing to a father to send his son forward to die? How could that be pleasing to anyone? It's certainly difficult for us to grasp in our peace-sized brains as humans. We cannot fathom the infinite wisdom of our Lord. But what we do see is in verse 20, we get some insight. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. It pleased the Father to send his Son because he was reconciling the world back to himself. It pleased the Father to do it this way. Now we have to deal with this word reconcile. Because in, in English, the word reconcile really gives us this idea of two parties who are kind of against each other and they can't come to terms, they can't come to an agreement. Both sides have messed up somehow. We've here in marriages, marriages that end in divorce, on the paperwork, they say irreconcilable differences. We just could not come to terms. We couldn't come, we couldn't come to a, a common ground. Both of us messed up and neither of us wants to change. Neither of us wants to negotiate. Neither of us wants to make peace. Now, in the same way, there are irreconcilable differences between us and God. That is not to imply that God has somehow messed up and that he has somehow sinned or transgressed against us. He has not. He's blameless and perfect. However, there are irreconcilable differences between mankind and God. You see, God is not going to compromise his nature. God is holy. Holy. 
God is righteous and just. Man is sinful. Humanity, all of mankind, we are sinful, and we're not going to compromise our sin. So here we stand, irreconcilable differences between us, this giant chasm between mankind and God. We have these irreconcilable differences, and you see, the problem is is that our sinfulness demands, deserves death. We learn that from scriptures, that our sinful nature deserves death. The punishment of death. And God's righteous, holy nature demands that death. So here we are. We deserve the death of our sin because of our sin. And God demands that that death because of his nature, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice. So what do we do? How are we going to cross this giant chasm, this impassable chasm between us and God. You see, God is also loving and gracious and merciful. So he put his son forward to stand in the gap between us. He sent his son in the likeness of a man with the fullness of his nature in him as a propitiation for our sins to stand in our place, and it pleased the Father to do this. It pleased the Father to send his Son to stand in the gap for us. What unfathomable love. What heights of wisdom our God possesses. Why was this pleasing? It's because this was the only way. Man could not reconcile himself back to God. It had to be done this way. This was the only option, is to have Jesus Christ with the fullness of the nature of God within himself come and stand in our place and stand in the gap between us and God. We see Isaiah 53.10 says that it pleased the Father to crush him. You see, on that cross, God did not compromise his nature. He does not have to compromise his nature to bring us close to him because his wrath was satisfied on the cross. Jesus Christ stood in the place for you and for me and for anyone who will put all of their faith in him. He stood in the place for you, and now God does not have to compromise because Jesus bore the weight of our penalty, so God's nature wasn't compromised. And guess what? The sin that we committed that was deserving of death, Jesus Christ died that death. So now he perfectly made it all connect to where we could now be reconciled back to God. It was all him. It was Jesus Christ. And we see at the end of this verse that he made peace by the blood of his cross. He made peace by shedding blood. Christ's sacrifice successfully atoned for all of our sins. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It was successful. 
He's not 95% done or 99% done. It was finished. Jesus said it himself in three words. It is finished. What did that mean? Him paying for our sins. That's what he was talking about. It's finished. My work is complete. It's done. Notice how God is the initiator at every single step in salvation. Every step. The Father sent his Son forward. The Father put his fullness in the Son. The Son bore the wrath of our sin. The Father secured reconciliation through the Son. The Son's blood brought peace. That's why there is salvation in no other except for through Jesus Christ. And it pleased the Father to do it this way. It was pleasing to him to give us no other alternative except for his son. That Jesus Christ might be shown to be the firstborn, the supreme one, the preeminent one. Before all things, just like we learned from 15 through 18, it pleased God to do it this way. So we see the perfect work of Christ, it reconciled you. It brought you back to God. Whenever you had irreconcilable differences between you and God, his death, Jesus Christ's work has reconciled you. But it has also made peace with you. Now that's a weird word. Why is that word there? Why is he saying, why is Paul writing that Jesus Christ made peace? That's wartime language, isn't it? That that somehow implies that there was a war or a battle going on and Jesus Christ brought peace. What is he saying here? What does this mean? We find our meaning in the very next verse in 21. Notice, he's been talking about Jesus this whole entire time, and now he talks about you and I. What is Paul going to say about you and I? Oh, you and you, you once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Wow. He elevated Christ to the most supreme, highest place and whenever he turns to talk about mankind says you were way down here you are nothing like Jesus you are not supreme he's supreme you didn't reconcile yourself he reconciled you you didn't bring peace he brought peace the only thing that you and I offer in salvation is our need for it that's all that we bring to the table is our need for salvation But we see this word alienated. The original language, what it means is separated, cut off, and estranged. In Ephesians 2.12, it says, Remember that you were at that time, talking about before Christ, at that time separated from Christ. Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It's Ephesians 2.12 if you would like to reference that. Having no hope and without God in the world. 
That's heavy language. Outside of Christ, this is the condition that we're all in. This isn't, notice, he didn't say, and back then you were an alcoholic. Back then you were a drug addict. Back then you were a thief or a robber. No, he says you were alienated. Because one could read alcoholic or thief or murderer and say, well, I've never done those things. So that doesn't really, that's, that doesn't really apply to me. I've always been good. No, he says, outside of Christ, you were alienated. You were hostile in your mind. You were doing evil deeds. And church, this word alienated is about the condition that you and I are in. Every single human being is in outside of Christ. If you have not been born again, this is your condition. You are alienated. You are hostile in mind. You are separated from Christ. You have no hope. And you are without God in the world. That is the condition that we stand in apart from being reborn by the Spirit of God. Well, that changes things, doesn't it? That really makes this a really serious matter. Thinking about this word alienated, you know, our culture will tell you, and even your own brain will tell you, you know, you just need to go have an adventure. You just need to go experience life. Go to, go to college, you know, live it up, have fun, go find yourself. Well, I just need to, I just need to figure out my purpose. Then I won't feel this, this way. Then I won't feel the way that I feel. I just need to figure out what my calling is. Then I won't feel the way that I feel. All of us are experiencing being alienated. That emptiness, that, that hollowness that you try to deafen with more stuff by chasing a career, by chasing anything that hollowness inside of you is that you are alienated from God. You're cut off from God. And deep down inside of you, your heart knows it. We know it. We ignore it. And we put on a, 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 a big smile. And, and we cover it up with a lot of really good pictures on Instagram. But if we're not in Christ, we're alienated. And we know that whenever we lay down to sleep or whenever we get a moment alone by ourselves and it's quiet, there's that emptiness again. What is it? It's that you're alienated. You're alienated from God. And no matter how much stuff you try to pile in there, you can't fix the issue that exists, that you're alienated. You can't Fix it. And that's why Jesus came and stood in the gap for us. But listen, being alienated is just the condition that we're born into. David wrote it this way, that I was born in sin. In sin did my mother conceive me. I was brought forth in iniquity. All of us exist in a sinful state before God naturally. That's just how we're born. Now, in case you're tempted to feel like that's unfair... Paul has us covered. 
He says, you were alienated, but you were also hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So not only was this the condition you're born into, you've added more money into this account. You've gotten into greater debt yourself because you're hostile in mind, because you're doing evil deeds. So you are also personally responsible for your state before God. Every last one of us are this way. And you might say, well, you know, preacher man, that's, that's all well and fine, but I've never felt hostile. I'm a pretty easygoing person. I'm nice. I'm friendly. I've certainly never felt hostile to God. I know. Neither did I when I was in the world. And guess what? We don't feel it. Because unless you're like a Luciferian, you're not going to say in your mind or out loud, I'm hostile towards God. I hate God. You're not going to say that. But Romans 8, 7 shines some light on this for us. It says the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Some translations read the mindset of the flesh is hostile towards God. Whenever you're living in the flesh, that's hostility towards God. Why? Because your flesh does not want to and cannot obey the law of God. And to disobey God is to be hostile towards Him. Are you following? That is hostility. It doesn't feel like it. It's not what enters your mind whenever you think of hostility. But that's what it is to be hostile towards God. Is that I'm just living in the flesh. I'm following what my flesh wants. And for those who are not in Christ, that's you all day, 24-7. Everything that you do is hostile towards God because you're following your flesh. You're following what your flesh, your human nature wants to do. And it wants to do evil deeds. You remember the old classic rock song, don't you? I'm not going to sing it in here. Don't make me sing it. Evil deeds, and they're done dirt cheap. Yeah, it sounds good, but there's nothing cheap about our evil deeds. They will cost us our life. Make no mistake about it. It does deserve a death. Evil Deeds, you are personally responsible in and of yourself. But then we get to what Christ has done in verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. You, you, that person, that person who was alienated, that person who was hostile in mind, that person who was doing evil deeds, because of Christ's death, he reconciled you back to God. Though you were sinful, though you were wicked, though you were depraved, he reached down and reconciled you back to himself. That's good news. I don't know about you, but that is fantastic news that Jesus Christ did this. 
Because guess what? A person who's alienated, a person who's hostile in their mind, a, a person who's doing evil deeds does not want anything to do with God. Yeah, we want morality. We want to go to church because we want to be good people, but we don't want God to get in here. We don't want God to tell me how to think. I don't want God to tell me how to spend my money. I don't want God to tell me what I'm supposed to do and not do on the weekends or what I can and can't watch on Netflix. I don't want to hear it, God. Just let me be a nice person. But God is so powerful and is so mighty and is so loving and merciful and gracious that he put his son forth to stand in the gap for you and for me. That son died and spilled his blood that God the Father can now reach down to you in your sinful nature, in the middle of your disgusting sin, and pull you out and reconcile him back to himself. That's the God we serve. That God. And for those of you who are in Christ, you know what a blessing that is. That he picked you up when you couldn't. Now the question is, do you have an I once was but now story? You see, verse 21 says, and you who once, and then verse 22 opens, he has now. Are you still in verse 21, or are you now in verse 22? That's the question for us this morning, church. Do you have a moment in your past where you can say, this is who I once was. I was alienated. I was hostile in my mind. I was doing evil deeds. But thanks be to God that he has now reconciled me. Do you have that story? Or are you still alienated? Are you still lost? Are you still trying to earn your salvation? I plead with you. I implore with you. I implore you to be reconciled to Christ this morning. Put all faith in him and leave no faith anywhere else except for in Christ. And he will reconcile you and it's done that's what's beautiful about it is that Jesus Christ finished it he did it it's it's completed again let's reiterate God is the initiator at every point in the process and he did it that way because his work is final his work is complete he can finish this good work because he is almighty God. It doesn't depend on you. But before we allow that understanding to send us into complacency, let's read verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith. Let's actually go back to verse 22. He says, In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Church, whenever I was studying this, and I hope it jumps off the page to you just like it did to me, because there is a huge contrast here. You, 
who were alienated, hostile, and doing evil deeds, God's work is such, it is so mighty, so perfect, so powerful, that he is able now to present you, that unrighteous, hostile, alienated person, present you holy and blameless and above reproach before himself. Are you kidding me? That is how precious the blood of Jesus is. That is how mighty God is to save, that he doesn't just take you out of the water. He dries you up, gives you new clothes, gives you a new haircut, gives you a new zip code, a new job, a new social security number. He changes it all up. That's how powerful he is. If you're in Christ this morning, let your heart rejoice. And take great comfort in the strong, saving arm of your God. Now, looking at 23 again, he says, If indeed you continue. If indeed you continue. You know, in the Baptist community especially, we get really, really caught up with, When did you get saved? What day did it happen? What was the day? What was the hour? What were you wearing? You know, what was the temperature outside? We get really focused on that day. And that is, I'm not trying to downplay that. That's a big deal. But the real question is, are you continuing? Not just did you have a day one time. Not just have you prayed a prayer one time. Not just did you check the box next to, yes, I want Jesus. But are you still in it? Are you continuing in the faith? Are you stable? Are you steadfast? Are you not shifting from the hope of the gospel? Yes or no? What we learn from Scripture is that if you're not continuing, you're still in verse 21. Because he who began a good work in you will finish it. He will not fail. He will not falter. He will not stumble. He will complete what he started in you. So the question is this morning, for you who are in Christ, what's your spiritual life like right now? Examine yourself. How's your prayer life look? How's your scripture study look? How does your war against sin look? Is this time on Sunday morning and the little time on Wednesday night, is that the extent of your spiritual life? Examine yourself. We must know if we're truly in the faith or not. Your church attendance is not your ticket into heaven. Your niceness, your holding doors open for people, you're paying bills on time. You're voting Republican every time. Those things are not your ticket into heaven. You know how you get in is through the blood of Jesus. That's your one way. And we can like, not like it. We can fight it all we wish. But your one door, the narrow way, is through Jesus. And whenever you have passed through that door, whenever you have been clothed in the righteousness 
of Christ, something changes in you. Something changes in you, and you can't explain it sometimes. You just say, I don't know what's happening, but I'm different. I don't know how to explain it, but I'm different now. I don't know what to say about it, but I understand what the Bible is saying now. I can't explain it to you, but I just know that God is real now. It's like my eyes have been opened to me. I believe it was Martin Luther in talking of his salvation experience that it was as though the doors of heaven opened to him. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart and the spirit inside of you will testify on its own that you are a child of God. And say what people will, they can't take that from you because you had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with writing your name in the Lamb's book of life. You had nothing to do with reconciling yourself back to God. It wasn't your blood that spilled. It wasn't your body of flesh that died on the cross. It has nothing to do with you or me. It's all Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being Jesus. And it pleases God the Father to do it this way. Why? So that no one can stand before him and boast. I got myself here. I worked my way up the ladder. I don't think so. You will be humbled real quick in the presence of God. Every one of us who is standing there before the throne of heaven will fall to our knees and say, Hallelujah, Christ alone. I don't belong here. Why am I here? I know what I've done. I know what I'm like. I'm verse 21. That's me. But glory be to God that he loves you despite yourself. He loves you though you've made yourself his enemy. He loves you, though you want nothing to do with him. And his power is such, his work is so perfect, that it will present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. For those of you who are in Christ, persevere. Press on. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep studying. Keep confessing your sin. Keep battling your sin. Keep crying your heart out before God, begging him to make you like him. Don't stop. Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you don't quit. Are you continuing? If you have drifted, if you say, you know what, that is me. I haven't really been reading. I haven't really cared about God lately. I haven't really been praying. I can't really remember the last time I came and prayed on my own. Today is the day to stop tarrying between two opinions and choose who you will follow. 
Will it be the God of this world? Will it be your career or your busy schedule? Or will it be Jesus Christ? For those of you this morning who don't have an I once was but now story, I implore you this morning to be reconciled to Christ and know that there has never been a sinner so alienated, so hostile in mind, doing so many evil deeds that the the blood of Christ became powerless. Never. His blood, his death was so powerful that he can take the worst of the absolute worst and clean them up and make them holy and blameless. Why? Because it has nothing to do with you. It's Jesus Christ's righteousness that you will be clothed in, not your own. So for those of us who are in here this morning, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. Randy and Tony, if y'all want to come up. And as we enter into this time of reflection, I want you to think about this. Consider this. Where are you with God this morning? This isn't a light matter. This isn't something small. And know that Jesus Christ has made a way for you to be reconciled. Because Christ is supreme as God in creation and in every conceivable way, the spilling of his blood through his death on the cross was powerful enough to reconcile hostile, alienated sinners back to God. And by putting our faith in Christ alone, we will be reconciled back to God and stand before him holy, blameless, and above reproach. Behold your God. This is the Jesus that you serve. This is Jesus the Christ.